She was like, I don't want to do this. I'm like, tough, it's just you and me, kid. Everybody else is up at the leadership retreat. And so uh, she's like, I want to do good, but I don't want to mess it up. But if I mess it up, Nicole won't make me do it again. So she might just have you practice, I don't know. It is good to be with you this morning. And we've got about 130 of us that are up in Forest Springs camp on a retreat and small group leaders and various ministry leaders. And so that's why maybe a few more seats open than normally at the first hour. When we um, determine what book of the Bible we're going to preach through, uh, Nick and sometimes accompanied by Devin, they go through and they section it out as to what the themes that are connected together, and that becomes the preaching schedule. It's filled into a Google Doc that we have and share. And then along the way, um, life happens and things get turned around and such. And so about three months ago, this passage was, or my name was next to this passage. And I read the passage and I'm like, I saw immediately in my heart what I should talk on. And I didn't want to do it. Which was fine because about four weeks later the schedule changed and I got a different passage. So I wrote that sermon. Three weeks ago, I was talking to Nick and I said, you know, you really need to go to the leadership retreat. I'll stay here and preach. And I hadn't looked at the schedule. I'm back to the first passage. (laughs) And it's not that I don't want to preach the passage. I definitely do because I think it's something that we need to hear. What I don't like about the passage is how we may hear it. It's one of those passages that we often skip over. We definitely don't memorize it because it talks about some things that we may not want to be aware of. But to the church, it's vital that we listen to it. And so I want you to listen today, not with your emotions. If I say something that offends you, get over it. And if we need to talk about it later, we can. But listen to what God's Word is saying and to what some of the points that I'll talk about, how they relate back to God's Word and why Paul is giving us a... uh, a warning to, to heed, to be aware of, and to be willing to speak of in the Christian, especially the Christian community around us. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, I'm so grateful that most of the time your word is a joy to read because it speaks of life, it speaks of the joy of following you, It speaks of our growth. It speaks of the good things that you've intended for us. And then every once in a while, there's things that are intended for us, but it's like our mom trying to get us to eat broccoli or whatever the vegetable of choice was. It's good for us. We just don't like it. But it still makes us strong. So open our hearts and minds today as we listen. In your name, amen. So I want to read the passage It's Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those manipulators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, 
though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Nick is going to take that last portion one of the next two weeks, 8 through 11, because it's just a beautiful passage about justification, where our right standing actually does come from. And Paul is contrasting in the first few verses against that, in that the Judaizers, who were the dogs in Paul's day, were Christian Jews who had heard the faith, received the faith, but added it into the Jewish customs, Jewish religions. And they were telling the Gentiles who had just recently received the faith in the message of Christ that in order to fully be a Christian, they also had to be circumcised and practice the laws of Judaism. And then they would be a full-term Christian. And this made Paul livid. One, because it was counter to God's welcoming spirit of all people. Christ died for all and all were welcome. But also because it pointed back to the law, which is at this point in time, because it was pre-resurrection, pre the giving of the Holy Spirit, it was a system that man could not accomplish. The law was there to point out we are imperfect. And even in trying to attain all of the law, which was fruitless, there was no salvation because we couldn't attain perfection. And so they are taking and putting onto the gospel something that negated the gospel and then telling everybody that this is what you had to do to truly be Christian. That phrase, beware of the dogs, is, is where I want to spend just a little bit of time. Over the, my years of pastoring, which, goodness, it's been 45 years now, um, I've seen the same themes show up in culture under different names. And, and I've seen the church at its best. I've seen the church at its worst. I've seen the church be a place of restoration and goodness. I've seen the church be places where people are hurt and discarded and, and often rejected, and they reject their own faith. And Paul is saying, I bring this to you as a warning. Now, why is that still in the Bible? If it was just current, a cultural thing for the day, it wouldn't be in the Bible, but it's there because it, that has continued through history. And so 
we have to listen to those words just as the Philippians listened to them, just as the Galatians listened to them. Beware of the dogs. Now, the dogs are people that are barking at the church. They're saying that the church is wrong. They're saying that if we would just change this or just change that and come in line with culture, we would be okay. But as long as we stand rigidly to the Bible, to God's truth, we become the object of words such as bigotry and intolerance and, and some of the words that we hear in media and such today when talking about the church and specifically about Christians. So it's an old message that Satan has tried to use over and over to make us think we have to do more or less to attain salvation and understand the perfect reflection of his righteousness in us, which justifies us because of the work of the cross and the, resur um, the resurrection, giving us this perfect righteousness and justifying us. He harkens back to Deuteronomy 30, and, but he says there's three things that those who will, are known by the truth do. We worship by the Spirit of God. We glory in Christ alone. We put no confidence in the flesh. I'm going to move through quite a few slides this morning, so if you want to get slides, you can go to highpointchurch.org slash sermon slides, and all of the slides are there. And so you can pick them up that way. One of the things I appreciate about Nick and his preaching is he never points fingers outside until we try to deal with the log in our own eye. And the evangelical church has a few logs that we need to pay attention to. The first one is Christian nationalism. I want to share a story that maybe will set this one up for us. Um, when I was working for Billy Graham, this would have been in 2003, two years after 9-11, uh, the, the team that I was on got a lot of invitations. If the Grahams, either Franklin or Will, weren't going to take the speaking opportunity, then it came to our team. And one of the ones was from a group in Florida who had a Bible in one hand and a flag in the other. Wonderful people, they really were. And they invited me to come down and speak on July 4th to a, a major league sports stadium filled with people on the message, God bless America. After 30 minutes of conversation, I said, I won't be able to fulfill this invitation. I can speak on America bless God, but I cannot speak on God bless America in the way that you've asked me to speak. They were perturbed and uh, closed out the conversation rather quickly. One of my colleagues said, uh, that sounded like a good opportunity, what's up? And I said, America is quickly becoming a post-Christian nation. We're not God's nation, we're a nation under God, but we're not God's nation. Jesus died for everyone. And we have to be careful that we don't mix politics and the church together because we end up alienating people, we end up with a wrong messaging, and honestly, some of the most devout, wonderful Christians I've met have been in third world countries where they are in poverty, where they have been neglected, where they are thrown out, where they have no voice, and, and yet they love Jesus. And they understand they're redeemed. They understand forgiveness because they've been forgiven much. 
And every time I came back from a trip like that, which was usually for two or three weeks, I came back a bit angry at the American church because we failed to realize what we have, that we are literally the richest people in the world in so many ways. And for many years, we were the center of the gospel sending missionaries to the world. Now the United States receives more missionaries globally than any other nation in the world because we have left so, the cross so far behind. And, and we have to be aware that I love America. I worked in 13 countries, and I can never been able to find a country that had the freedoms, even in the state that we're in today. It's still, in my opinion, the best country in the world to live in. And I'm glad and proud to live here. But this land needs Jesus. And it's wrong to associate a political party for an agenda that is not the gospel. We have to be careful. Christian nationalism doesn't respect all religions. It was interesting that right, that invitation came right after the Muslims bombed um, New York City and Philadelphia and D.C. And there was a hatred among many Christians of people who weren't part of what was going on. Now, I think Christianity is truth, and I think the other major religions of the world have faults, and they do not lead to God. They do not lead to eternal life. They have their versions. There's a little bit of truth in all of them, and that's why they're tempting. But they don't fulfill the longing that God put in the hearts of men to truly know their creator. Christian nationalism wants to legislate morality. You can't do that. That comes out of the heart. It's predominantly white, politically motivated, and it, it causes rifts and has weakened the local church. The next is Christian fundamentalism. Gary Cobb and I, who was the VP of uh, evangelism and follow-up at Graham when we were living in Asheville, North Carolina, um, we thought, hey, let's do something fun for the youth and the college kids in this town. It's the home of University of North Carolina in Asheville, where my youngest daughter teaches. And, and so we, they had an arena downtown that sat 2,300 people. And so we'd say, let's see if we can put 1,000 kids in that. Asheville is not known for its Christianity. Very few strong churches in that town. And we overflowed it and put 2,500 people into 2,300 spaces. We brought in Mercy Me um, and another new Christian hip-hop band that was uh, going to the top of the charts at that time. And we brought in a national youth speaker, and we saw five or 600 youth and college kids come to Christ that night. Got them plugged into the few churches that were there, and it was, it was a lot of fun, except for the only opposition we had in an incredibly uh, secular town was from the church. Not all the churches, but a few churches. They ran radio ads against us because we were not using the King James Bible. We were allowing women to attend and wear pants to wear makeup. 
we were using devil music. After all, there were drums. <laughs> they picketed the entrance, telling kids they were entering hell if they came to the event. And that was the church. And a lot of people were confused about that because what they preached and what they believed were two different things. And we have to be careful. We have to recognize that the world doesn't pay attention to what we believe or how we believe it. And Christian fundamentalism is a belief that starts in the Bible, holds on to some things that are often um, physically seen or a habit or behavior, and ties that to the gospel message. There were two major movements of God within the last 50 years in America. Most people don't realize what they were because the church stepped on them. One was the Jesus movement in the 60s, the Jesus people. Anybody remember those, that phrase? In the 60s, we had free love, free speech, free everything, and uh, people left all sense at times of right living, and we called them hippies. It was an amazing move of God through, especially starting out in the beaches in California, and became known as the Jesus Movement. We had a lot of, that was kind of the beginning of um, some of the new music that the church did adopt later. But most of them had long hair. Um, they didn't dress like we should dress. They didn't act like they, we thought they should act. They weren't welcome in our churches. And finally, they said, forget it. Ray Steadman, um, whose church backed up to Berkeley, was one of the few pastors in the country that he embraced. And he saw phenomenal growth in the college ministry on the Berkeley campus because he stepped into their uh, customs in their life and, and preached Jesus, which is what they were seeking. The other was 10 years later in the charismatic renewal of the Catholic Church. An amazing wave of of the gospel, worship, and Bible understanding went through starting on the West Coast, moving east. And again, they, didn't, they weren't accepted because they were Catholics. How could they possibly be loved by Jesus? I was an associate pastor in uh, Bellevue, Washington, just across the lake from Seattle at the time. And on one Sunday, we had 700 Catholics show up for church in a church of 500. The church of 500 got angry because they were taking over our church. Well, what had happened was they had found Jesus. And they didn't know hardly anything about the relational aspects of a Savior. And they loved to worship, and they loved the preaching of the Word. And they loved to serve. And they were so encouraging and so happy and it made all the dear old saints mad. It was a hard thing. We announced a meeting one night. We said, if you've been a member a week before all the Catholics joined us, we'd like to meet with you tonight at 6 o'clock. Almost everybody in the previous church showed up, 
thinking that we were going to announce we were kicking the Catholics out. Instead, what we said, if you don't change your attitude, you're welcome to leave because this is what Christ is doing and we need to acknowledge and come alongside of the gospel. About half of them did leave and they all returned except for a couple families when they realized that when God moves, he's not, he doesn't care about previous beliefs. He doesn't care about race. He doesn't care about a lot of things. He cares about our hearts and that the gospel is for everyone. God's love of the world that he gave Christ, not a particular nation, not a particular people, but he loves everyone, and he cares deeply about them, and he is jealous for them. The third is the new name, and it's not a new name, it's 20, 25 years old at this point as far as the public use of it, is progressive Christianity. What scares me the most about this, and this is the one that does scare me the most, is that many of us don't know what that is. Over half of the Christian churches in this town fall into this category. Not completely, it's subtle. Some churches are completely there, some churches are getting there. But it's presenting a false gospel and the beginnings of a false gospel to many people who are going to church. Church attendance in this town is not a low thing. The problem is many of the churches being attended are not preaching what the Bible says in the ultimate end in salvation and knowing Christ and being justified by his work. And we have to be careful. I shared a few years ago, I met with... uh, one of the pastors on this square who definitely falls into this category and and that was the purpose of the conversation. She initiated it. She wanted to talk about Jesus. And we met quarterly for a year and a half and then the pandemic hit and our last meeting, um, she said, I can handle Jesus but I can't handle Christ. I said, let me see if I understand that. You can handle Jesus because he took care of the poor. He was a bit radical. He was willing to speak out, and he was for the people, in, largely in, by all accounts. And she said, yeah. I said, but you can't handle Christ because he demands an atonement for sin. And she said, yes, that's right. And then she said something that was astounding to me. It wasn't argumentative. It was very humble. She said, and I hope I'm right. She had a PhD, two masters, one being a master of divinity, knew the word very, very well, another degree in psychology, but didn't understand who Jesus was. Thought that what culture was saying, that the individual is a supreme being, had to be right because culture was saying it. I had another pastor on the square look me six inches in the face right here and say, I hate you, you're the problem with Christianity. You and High Point Church and your mighty Bible. Hard to take, but that's what's happening around us. And I want to talk just a little bit about that. We as Christians do not look at Jesus in truth through the lens of culture. 
but rather we look at culture through the eyes of Jesus. If you don't hear anything other than that statement today, please listen to that statement. Do not look at Jesus through the eyes of culture. This is what we look at Jesus through. That and the personal experience of a redeemed life. When we look at Jesus through culture, he needs some help because he's not quite relevant to where culture is today. And we need to take that to heart and realize that that's what's being driven. That's what's happening. Why? Because unfortunately, we live in a world that is ruled by Satan. We live in a world that is, that is motivated by evil. It's called selfishness. It's not yet turned over fully to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God invaded that space with Jesus. Early in his ministry, he announced that the kingdom of God is near, but not yet. It's coming. And the church is here by God's grace to, um, to speak the truth, to be a light in darkness, in hopes that many will receive and escape what evil has destined for them. The Bible is very clear. It says that Satan seeks to devour. How does he devour? Very, very subtly. He tells us that, well, God is love. He wouldn't do that. Everybody is going to heaven. After all, he created us. We're made in his image. Therefore, we must have an element of God within us. We can listen to ourselves for our own wisdom. 70% of people say they go to themselves for their wisdom. And then we wonder why people are making some of the decisions that they're making. Because left to our own account, we're in trouble. But God understood that, and he sent Jesus. He gave away through the indwelling of his spirit for us to have his wisdom, his knowledge, his insight, his discernment. Deuteronomy 4.2, you shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Colossians 2.8, see that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Why did God put these kinds of verses, make sure they were pinned into the Bible and they are in our hands today? Because they're true. They are just as true as the fact that God loves you. The warning is there, be careful. We live in culture. We are in the world but not of it. And when we live in culture, what culture is permeates us by osmosis. We cannot help. It's like our parents. My parents used to say, you know, you shouldn't be listening to that music. Oh, that's okay. I don't listen to the words. But today when it comes on the radio, I know all the words. How'd that happen? Somebody tricked me. To follow Christ is a choice. It's a decision to walk out of that culture. It's a decision to take captive our thoughts 
so that we understand the will of God, Romans 12, 2. It's a decision to think about that which is different than culture, Philippians 4, 8. It's a decision to have a mindset of Christ, Colossians 3, 2. It's a decision to be different, to be called out, to be set apart, to be holy from culture, and yet we're called to live in culture. And that means that we need to be disciplined. We need to do the practices of the kingdom so that we do well in the culture, so that we live to our fullest as God intended us to live, light, not darkness. According to the official website of Progressive Christianity, the Bible is not the authoritative word of God, but rather a good book with truths to guide us by. They'll tell us that it contains God's word in some portions, but it is not fully God's word. Progressive Christianity says the atonement for sin and resurrection of Christ from the dead are myths and amount to cosmic child abuse. After all, what good father would send his son to the cross to bleed for somebody else's sin? That's child abuse and dismissed. The problem is that without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. We have to be careful. It's um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and 17, says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, and so is your faith. He goes on in 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So I can find something that is socially acceptable, child abuse. We hate that. It's wrong and put God in the same category and discount the entire story in a flash. And that is what's being preached in pulpits today in Madison. Not all, but some. And it's leaving people with their own devices. It's leaving people helpless to come up with what they can come up with because they don't want to be in the situation they're in. They don't want to be in their own sins, but they've got to find a way out and say do good works often to appease their conscience, and they do good works. A couple Easter's ago, one of the churches downtown fed 400 people off the streets on Good Friday. We had a party in the back, and we fed beautifully 400 people of us. I was talking to that pastor, and they told me what they did, and I told them what we did, and she said, well, you probably were doing it right. No, I said, Jesus would probably have come to your party. I think you beat us on that one. And she was like, really? I said, yeah. Sometimes you do a better job of caring than than we do. Heaven will be for everybody, regardless of faith. That's not what God's Word says. It says that 
if we receive what Jesus did for us and we repent of our sins and what we've done to him, that upon that confession of faith on the work that he did in the cross and the resurrection, we will be saved. And with that saving comes eternal life. That's what moves us into heaven. It's not our good works. You are who you say you are and deserve your happiness in whatever form right now. Some examples. You can choose your gender. You can choose your truth. You can choose whatever you want to believe and we'll affirm you. One of the statements I don't see exactly word for word, but I've read it enough times, is that progressive Christianity progresses and evolves because truth must change to stick up with, with, to maintain uh, cadence with culture. Therefore, we will always authenticate your truth. That's not truth. Truth must be consistent for all mankind for it to be true. You can't have your brand, I can't have my brand, and we both call it true. We know what the laws of physics are, and they show us a good example of what truth is. You drop the ball, it doesn't go up. Sin destroys, God brings life. And you can't alter those things. As much as we don't like sin, it must be dealt with. And it must be dealt with in accordance to what pleases God because in that, he redeems us. He doesn't punish us for it. He redeems us. We have to recognize that marriage was not there till I find somebody better but it was till death do us part because it reminds us of the covenant and the beautiful love of God. It serves to show us the love of a savior to a bride. That's the language of the Bible. It's there to produce life. It's there to give life. It's there to nurture life. It's not always there for satisfaction. You have to give up things when you get married because certain responsibilities for others comes onto your plate. But it becomes a joy to care for them because sacrificial love is loving. Giving of yourself in that way is joyful. Psalms 139, starting in verse 13, talks about God's relationship to the fetus in the womb. That fetus is not a fetus only. It's a person who God knows and cares about and has predestined their days before they're even born. It's not just a choice. It's the creation of life, and God loves life. A statement out of their doctrinal statement is your perception of truth is sufficient to guide you. 
if my source is me, you should all run because I will do everything I can to win, to be on top. And my service for you will only serve to make me look good. And when I've accomplished that, you're on your own. Because I don't have within me the capacity to love you sacrificially. That only comes from the character of Christ within me in a redeemed version of Mike. The unredeemed version of any of us is dangerous. It's selfish. It uses people. It runs over people. The redeemed version of that same person loves, sacrifices, gives a vast, vast difference. John 18, 37 says, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. John 9, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice because I'm a good shepherd. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, not through good works, not through culturally acceptable, but through Christ. Psalms 109, 105, your word is a lamp from my feet, a light to my path. It's where I secure wisdom for right living. The one that is the most slippery slope is this. The heart of progressive Christianity lays in social justice. It's a slippery slope because social justice is wonderful. When we care for the needs of others, when we want justice for people, but it has ignored the cross of Jesus Christ where true freedom can come ridding somebody of the bondage of slavery, of sin. If you're still in sin, you are not free. It was for freedom's sake that you were saved. But you'll not hear that from those pulpits. Second Corinthians 4.4 4 says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, and for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, and it has shown in our hearts to give the light and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, 13, and then 16 and 17 says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh is contrary to the Word, and the Spirit is in conflict with the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do what you want. If I follow my own desires, the outcome will be selfish because I happen to like Mike. You happen to like you. Sacrificial love means that I place you in front of me. 
that rings so true when we just talk about social justice. The problem is it doesn't come from my heart. It comes from my ability or my desire to be received in a light, in a good manner by you. I want to be liked, so I'll do the good things for you. I'll feed the poor. I'll do the things that elevate my stature socially. Now, here's the kicker. Our hearts have been changed so that we should do those things, and yet we don't. Not all. Many of you do good things. But that's one of the areas that, that Nick and I have determined at high point, we're going to kick up a good notch this next year. Some of the relationships that he and I have with pastors in this town, we're going to introduce you into those relationships so that we can do good things together because it's a lot more fun to do good things with your friends than it is by yourself. I get that. It's fun. And we should enjoy that. Selfishness without the cross doesn't lead to that. But with the cross, it's meant to be the fruit of what we believe and who we are. So in some way, there's one score to them. Problem is, we own it. And we've got to live it. We've got to care about our neighbors. We've got to love them. And that begins by knowing their name. It begins by putting the rhythms of life together that include them. Share a meal. Have a conversation. Know their kids' names. Be interested. Be available. Progressive Christianity is a set of theological beliefs that has a Bible that is not the final authority, a Jesus that won't die for you, and a God who cannot save you. It's a different gospel than the one told in the Bible. It's not the good news that sets you free. Matthew 7.15 says this, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravingly wolves. Paul says to all of us, be careful. Understand that everything that says it's good is not. That much of what is good, as Papa used to say, I said this last time I was up. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look one degree to the left, and you'll see somebody in the flesh trying to be true. And look to the right one degree, and you'll see Satan telling a half-truth, so he sounds like truth. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And there's never been a truer statement than that for today's world that we live in. That means that we have to be in God's Word. We have to be in conversation with Him. We have to be in fellowship with one another. Not to the detriment of those around us. We need to love them and invite them into the community of the kingdom of God. But we have to practice the community of God. And we can do that because of the end of the verse that I read at the beginning. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Remember a few weeks ago, Nick talked about boasting, and our boast is in Christ Jesus. 
because we can't do this on our own, but God has graciously extended himself to us in his son Jesus so that we can, in Christ, be more than conquerors. We can, in Christ, do the very things that God has set before us, Philippians, or Ephesians 2.10 speaks about. But inside of that strength, we must be aware. We must be smart. Don't be afraid. This is not a message to make you afraid. This is a message to open your eyes and to say, okay, this is serious. Some of my neighbors are going to churches and being fed something that is contrary to God's word. Find out. Know these things. If they're going to church, that means they're interested in something that's different than themselves. Speak truth into their lives. Find out about their church. Maybe it's not too far down the slippery slope. I pray that it isn't. I pray that every church in this city would begin to preach Christ. And Madison would no longer have the moniker of the square 77. 77 square miles surrounded by sanity. That's on the pick corner of the paper for this town. Because we have begun to be, live out the philosophies of man that are empty. They cannot take us to where God wants to take us. So be wise. The word is at your hand. God's wisdom, God's direction. Read it. Know it. Be faithful to it. Be faithful to the congregation. Be faithful to coming and worship him together corporately. And he will protect you. If you don't do those things, you'll leave yourselves open to falsehood. And that will not take you where you think you want to go. Worship team, would you come up? Father, thank you that you don't lead us blindly, that you've prepared us for truth, you've given us truth, and you expect us to live it out for our own good sake, but also for your name's sake. Help each of us to hear what we needed to hear today, and don't let it be another good sermon but let it be something that motivates us, that causes us to be wise, to live for you well, to live for our brothers and sisters and our neighbors well. For you love them deeply and called us to love them as well. In your name, amen. Thanks.